Hi, everyone. Just before we pray and get into uh, Genesis 1, you can turn back to Genesis 1 and have your outline open. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your word. Uh, we praise you for the gift of work, uh, that we can work to serve you, that we can work to build one another up in Christ, that we can work to honour you in our workplaces. And we thank you for the gift of rest as well, as we see you resting uh, in this passage, we're reminded that you give us that wonderful gift. And so we pray that tonight you'd help us to work hard, uh, reading your scriptures uh, and seeing the goodness that they bring, working hard in light of them, yet also resting in your grace to us. And we pray that you would strengthen us uh, to serve you and rejoice in these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week in uh, our gospel team, my gospel team, uh, what I did is I asked them, what's one thing that you love about God's creation? We've been looking at Genesis, so I asked that question. We had this great time sharing lots of things that we love about creation. Uh, someone said, music and the human ear. Maybe you can guess who said that. Uh, someone said, the beach. Someone said uh, people and relationships. Obviously, someone said food and taste buds. And then someone said, one person said, dogs. I love dogs. They're my favorite part of creation. And I get that. I love dogs too. I grew up with two Border Collie cross Kelpies, Rusty and Sam, great dog names. Uh, they, were, they were brothers, and I loved hanging out with them day by day. Uh, and so today, we're talking about my favorite animals, dogs. Uh, no, no, that's, that's not true. Uh, we're talking about dogs, the animal world, humanity, and, of course, we'll be talking about God who created uh, these things. So let's think about where we're up to in the story of Genesis so far. This is just week two in our series in Genesis 1 to 11. And last week we saw, last week we started looking at those first four days of creation. What did we see there? We saw the one and only God made everything out of nothing. He just spoke and it came into being. We saw in those four days he created light. He created the expanse of the sky. He created the land and the trees and the plants. And he created the sun and the moon. All of it he created with a word. And then he saw that it was good. He was pleased with what he had made. Well, the story continues today. We kind of cut it in half over these two weeks. Today we continue with days five to seven. He keeps creating and filling this earth that we live in. Uh, he keeps making our world work with all its fullness. So in the last few days, in the last few of the days of creation, he fills the sea and the sky and the land with animals. And most importantly, he makes us, humanity. So let's see what Genesis is showing us about these things and what we can learn. Uh, but first, actually, I just wanted to pause and have a quick word about humility and perspective. Because you see, again, as we deal with the days of creation and the order of things and the way that God says uh, he created here, it makes us ask those questions of how. How and when and how long? And is this literal history or is it stylized teaching? Uh, you know, a kind of parable to learn from but not take literally. Because on the one hand, well, it reads like a simple narrative, doesn't it? This is what happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But then, on the other side, it's kind of highly stylized. That there's these numbers, there's lots of repetition, so it makes us wonder, is that kind of symbolic? 
Well, last week, Phil helped us think about this. I'm not going to add really much more to what he said, uh, maybe except for this. I think another thing that's worth mentioning is this. We need to remember that this chapter, Genesis 1, it happens before the fall. Genesis chapter 3. See, this is talking about God's creation before sin came into the world, before the curse of sin, before God's judgment on our world. This judgment that affected not just us, but the whole creation. See, this creation we live in now, yes, it's the same creation God first made in the beginning, but just think, how different must the creation be now versus before sin came into the world? I'm just actually not sure we can imagine how different it would have been back then in the Garden of Eden, in this world without sin. I wonder if God's actually given us Genesis 1, and we can only really just through Genesis 1, grasp at just the edges of the, the magnitude and the wonder of what God did and the world that he had made, the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, it's talking about things before sin, before the curse and judgment of God on this world and before the impact of sin on our minds. And so we need humility and perspective not to assume we can tell exactly all the things that God did. We need to trust God's word as well, as it, as it comes to us in Genesis 1. But now, we need to get into our passage and see what Genesis does say, what it does clearly teach us. And if you look at your outline, I want us to kind of get into these verses, to explore them with these questions on your sheet. It says, uh, what are the questions? They are, what do we learn about the creation? What do we learn about humanity? And three, what do we learn about God? So the first way we're going to look at this passage what do we learn about the creation? Now, in one sense, we humans, we're part of the creation, aren't we? We're creatures, but soon we'll see we're also different from the rest of creation. So we're kind of asking, what is Genesis 1 showing us about the rest of creation that's, that's not us, that's not human? The plants, the land, the sea, the sun, moon, and stars. And in particular, the animal kingdom. So let's do this. We'll look at ver- uh, day 5 and 6. Look at verse 20. This is day 5. Then God said, Let the water swarm with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged bird according to its kind. Well, then look at day six in verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So what do we learn about creation here? What does Genesis show us? Well, it shows us a few things. The first is God created this world with rich fullness and diversity. Do you see that? Did you sense that as we read it? He says, let the water swarm with life. Let the birds fly across all the sky. Let there be land animals everywhere. He wants his world to be full, and so he fills it abundantly. He's generous and lavish. We, Sarah and I, uh, we're really thankful. We're so thankful at the moment for the place that we're currently living. Uh, Our place sits on top of a ridge Uh, And it looks over a valley. And so from our front porch, you can see over the trees. You can see the sun set in the distance over the mountains. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And so often as we stand there, the sky is just filled with birds. We see flocks of them flying over the valley. 
Uh, my favourite are black cockatoos. I don't know why, just for some reason, Brendan likes them. Uh, for some reason, I just love black cockatoos. I don't know why it is. Uh, or at dusk, the sky is just filled with bats and then they poop on our car and that's, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, so there's, there's just lots of animals in this world, isn't there? But he doesn't just make lots of animals, he makes lots of kinds of animals, a rich diversity. The sea creatures, the birds, the land animals, it says they're all made according to their kinds. And there's so many kinds. God is rich and lavish in making our world diverse. And we get to see and enjoy and benefit from all these incredible animals. That's why we go to the zoo, isn't it? The zoo is a testimony to the creative power of God. And actually, just living in the world and seeing the animals, or just living in Australia, is a testimony to God's rich generosity because we just get to see wherever we go, especially in Australia, uh, we get an extra dose of the diverse number of animals, and we get to see all the things God has designed and formed. And we're given the extra dose of dangerous animals, aren't we? The joke goes we've got all the scariest and deadliest animals in Australia, I won't tell you about my hunt for a huge huntsman on my car this week. And it just it actually was there for a few days. Just every few days. Anyway, I said I wouldn't tell you about it. I did eventually kill it. Oh, but I was kind of sad about that as well. Cause... <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. And humanity, we just keep finding all these new species, don't we? All the time. Our generous God has made all these creatures. It's amazing. And this is what else we learn. See, God blesses this part of his creation. See, from the beginning, God's desire has been to fill the earth with all kinds of animals. So look at verse 22. So God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply animals, and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. God blesses this part of his creation. He's generous. And of course, he declares it to be good. He sees what he's made and he knows it's good. Dogs are good. Cats are good too, apparently. Um, that's a divisive issue, so let's not go into that. But, but God, he's satisfied with his handiwork. He says it is good. He takes pleasure in what he has made. And he rightly glorifies himself for what he's made. He rejoices in his creation, in his wisdom and power and goodness. He says this is good. Now, what does that mean for us? See, if the animal world made by God is good and blessed and rich and diverse and fill, fills the earth, well, we can enjoy it just as God enjoys it. See, we can be glad in seeing and enjoying and learning about and benefiting from all the wonderful creatures God has made. But ultimately, the right response is worship. It's rightly directed worship to the God who made these things, giving him glory for his creativity, praising him for his power to create and bless and provide for all the animals of the world. See, we can be glad and rejoice in God's creatures, but it should never stop there. God deserves the praise for all these things. We can, we should, join in with God's people throughout the ages. God's people throughout the ages have praised God for this part of his creation. And actually to do that tonight, I want to pause and actually give God praise with some of the words from Psalm 104. I want us to dip into some of the Psalms as we look through this chapter. Psalm 104 is a Psalm that praises God 
for the way he's created and sustains the world. So if you're keen, join with me right now. Open your mouth. Uh, let's say these words to praise our good creator. Join with me if you would like to. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Amen. He deserves glory. He made all these creatures, the fish, the birds, the animals. He declared them to be good. But God's not finished creating his creatures, is he? Because on day six, he creates the land animals, uh, but then he creates another land creature, us, humans. This is our second point. So let's ask those same questions. What does Genesis show us? What do we learn about humanity? We'll spend most of our time here today because we're humans and so we're thinking about humanity. It's actually hard to overstate just how important these words are. They show us who we are, these few verses in Genesis 1. They're the first mention of humanity, and so they're the foundation for everything else the Scriptures say about us. So what do we learn? The first thing we learn is that humans are different to the animals, and we are like God. See, at this point, God breaks the pattern of his creation days. He breaks his pattern to say and to do something a little bit different. So look at verse 26. Before God, he kept saying, let there be light, animals, uh, seas, uh, sun and moon. But now he says something new, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish, the birds, the livestock, all the earth and the creatures. God speaks to himself in the plural here, doesn't he? He says, let us make man in our image. Now, there's a few options of how we should understand that, uh, but I think the best one here is that God is self-deliberating. He's thinking to himself, hmm, we should do this. Uh, He's considering this within his own mind. Uh, And it's only then, when we get to the New Testament, that we can maybe look back from the New Testament and say, oh, is that that like a conversation between the Trinity? (laughs) Is that like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? One God as three persons having a bit of conversation. Maybe that's the case. But you can see here how in the same breath God says, humanity is like me in my image, but different to the rest of creation. You see, in one sense, we are like the creation. We're made on day six, just like the land animals. We have the breath of life in us, like the animals. We're called to multiply and fill the earth, like the animals. But we're a separate creation to the land animals on that day six. And we're commanded to rule over the animals. We're different. And we're like God. This is just an incredible privilege, actually. We're we're not God. We're creatures like the animals. But of all the creatures, God has set us apart to be different. See, we're the last thing that God makes. We're the pinnacle of all that he makes. We serve a different purpose, a different function in his creation. And the way that God speaks about this is that we're made in the image of God, in his likeness. He says it multiple times. See, all creation reflects something of the glory of God. But only humans are made in the image of God, the likeness of him. 
So what does that mean? Well, there's lots of things, again, we could say that that means. Is it our higher intelligence and our emotions? Is it our ability to relate to each other and relate to God that the animals don't have? Are we like God in those ways? Well, surely the answer is yes to those things. But God doesn't actually go into that here. He doesn't go into that detail. No, what is instead the detail that he goes into? What does God say straight after he says, let us make man in our image? Look at verse 26 again. They will rule the fish, the birds, the livestock, all the earth. And then again, after it says, he made us in his image, verse 28, God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish, the birds, and every creature. See, there it is again. What what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we rule over creation, like God does. See, God has set us over his creation to rule over it like he does and under him, under his authority. Now, this is just a massive truth of the scriptures. What does it mean for us? What does it mean that we're made like God in his image to rule his creation? Well, it means a whole bunch of things and we can only just scratch the surface now. The first thing it must mean is this, that human life has intrinsic an inherent value and dignity. It means that all, that every human life is made in the image of God and so is to be respected and honoured and loved. Other worldviews can't say that. God's word says that. So think about Genesis 1 next time you're feeling worthless because it says you're not worthless. Or think about Genesis next time you're tempted to treat someone else as worthless tempted to say a harsh word or gossip or or even to strike someone. See, this is why it says in James that it's an awful thing to praise God with one breath and then to curse people in another breath who were made in the image of God. And I think when we read this chapter, we, we have to see the wonder and the beauty of verse 26. Look at it. We're made in the image of God, male and female. I hope you praise God for the wonderful way that he's made us binary. That's a loaded word these days. But God declares his creation of humanity as male and female as very good. Have a look at it again. God made man or humanity in his image, and then he explains what that means. He made them humanity, male and he made them, sorry, he made them humanity, male and female. And then the next sentence, if you read on, God blessed them, male and female, and said to them, fill the earth and subdue, together, men and women. You see, Genesis 1 is all you need to see that men and women are fundamentally equal. Equal in value, in dignity, in worth. This is all you need. This right here is all you need to see that the battle of the sexes And the oppression of women or the sidelining of men, God is against those things. Now, there's heaps more that we could say about that. We could spend days talking about that. But Genesis 1 is all you need to see that we, that us, men and women together, are to rule and subdue the earth. Both are given that role role, and called to live in partnership together as men and women. And it just makes me reflect. This is what I reflected on this week. It just makes me so thankful about how God has blessed our church in the way that men and women serve together. In our imperfect way, we're sinners, of course. But we serve in joyful, Jesus-centered partnership, unlike the world where these things are so distorted and pained. 
See, I hope you praise God for the way that we, together as God's people, serve alongside each other, male and female, men and women. I, I praise God for that. I'm, uh, we're thankful for what Catherine was sharing before about snack, men, snack women. It's so, so wonderful. So that's one thing it means. That was a long one, a few more short ones. What else does it mean? It means that our work has value. If we're made in the image of God, it means our work is valuable. Now, Phil might share more on this next week, uh, that we're made in God's image to, to rule, subdue, to work in this world. Uh, but if we're made in God's image here, this is just that simple truth. We're made to work. And it means that whatever our work is, whether, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's in our home or whether it's uh, in the workforce, our work is doing what this verse here says, filling and subduing the earth, ruling as God made us to do. More on that maybe next week. But what else does it mean? It means human life is more important than animal life. And uh, that needs to be said these days because there are people with all sorts of views on this. Uh, God cares about animal life. Cruelty to animals is off limits in God's word. But it is okay and it is even good for humans to wisely and with care use animals for our purposes to rule and subdue. This is why, from a Christian worldview, it's okay to end the life of an animal when it's needed, but it's not okay to end the life of a person. This is why assault and murder and abortion and euthanasia are ruled out, because all people are made in God's image, and so how you treat them matters, and it's only God who gets to decide when a life should end or not. And so, the animals, they're not as important as the lives of humans. And this is actually true for the rest of creation as well. Uh, think about this. A scientific discovery of our world, as humans go about it, is good. Harnessing the elements of the world brings blessing. Farming the land brings food. Mining, in and of itself, is not bad. Using trees for wood is a good thing. Look at this roof. Are we happy that this roof is here? That's a good thing. Humans can and do go too far. People can ravage the earth out of greed. But God has set us over his creation to subdue it and to use it for good endeavors. And so all of that means that extreme views on animal life or extreme environmental views don't fit with the scriptures. Again, there's lots more we could say about that. But what's clear here is God made us in his image to wisely, to carefully rule over his world, subdue it, to utilize it for its goodness, for his glory. But God did more than create us in his image. He also blessed us. So look at verse 28 again. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. See, God blessed us in our role as humanity over the creation. And he blessed us in a few ways. First of all, in multiplying us. And on a macro level, think about this, on a macro level, the fact that humanity multiplies across the earth is a blessing, not a curse. Again, as some extreme environmental views would say. But also, not just a macro level, on a micro level, individual level, we should see it as a blessing of God to multiply, to bear and raise children for his glory, if that's what God has chosen for us to do. And it's up to his wisdom. Or if that's something that we should choose to do. If, we're, if, we, if we get married, the idea is raise, bear and raise children to his glory if God decides to give you those children. 
But as well as that, he blessed us in providing for us. See, in verse 29 and on, God provides for humanity and all the animals with all the trees and every fruit and seed to eat. He pours out his blessing of provision on us. And we are just so dependent on him and his great generosity. And so now, now that God has made humans the height of his creation, his work is done and we read verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Not just good, very good. And I think God here is saying with, that with humanity, he's finished his creation and now all of it is very good. But I also think he's saying that it's humanity that caps off his creation. It's humanity that means he can say his creation is very good. We are the work that he is most pleased with, that he is most interested in. And again, shouldn't that just lead us to rightly directed worship? Shouldn't it just fill us with wonder and awe? Shouldn't we be humble and in awe before him who made us, who chose to make us the height, the pinnacle of his creation? And Psalm 8 is an example of this. Look at it on the screen with me. This is another psalm to dip into. This is King David reflecting on the creation and humanity. He's giving glory to God, and this is what he says. I won't get you to read this one. Uh, He says, When I observe your heavens, God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. Why, God, do do you care so much about us as humanity? He goes on, he says, You made him, humanity, little less than God, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put, him under, you put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the sea. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout all the earth. See, the right response to this is being like David. Just being amazed that God would create all of this and would bless us by making us in his image to rule over his creation. Praising him because he chose to do this and he did it. But now, before we get to our third point and we think about the end of the passage, there's one more thing to say about humanity. Do you remember before I was saying that this is talking about before sin entered the world, before the fall. What about after the fall? What happens to these truths about humanity and about creation after sin enters the world? The scriptures teach us that though humanity has fallen, we still bear the image of God. And we still have that task of ruling and filling the earth. But our image of God is marred. We sin, we don't reflect God the way we should in the world. And the creation, it's in chaos, and we struggle to rule over it. The fact that animals kill people is an example of that. It shouldn't be that way. And that's, why, that's what actually what the writer of Hebrews is reflecting on in Hebrews 2, uh, that we read before. See, what does he say? He quotes the psalm that we just read, Psalm 8, and he, about how God has set us over all creation. And then he says, hang on, we, we actually don't really see that fully. The fall has changed things. We don't rule the world like we should. But, he says, we do see Jesus as Lord, as ruler over creation. Have a look at it at the screens with me. Read it carefully with me. He says, as it is now, 
we don't yet see everything, creation, subjected to him, to humanity, to us. But we do see Jesus. Made lower than the angels for a short time, he became human. So that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. And now he's raised and he's crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering in death. You see what he's saying? He's saying since the fall of humanity, we haven't ruled creation like we should, like we're meant to. Except for one human. There is one man who has done it. There is one man who was made low for us and who has tasted death for us and defeated death for us and escaped the curse of sin. See, there is one person who subdues and rules all the earth, Jesus, Lord of all. He did it the way that we were meant to. And so he is the beginning of a new humanity. And so if we turn to him, if we trust in him, he will raise us to be the humanity that we were meant to be. He will bring us to a new world, a new creation, where we will rule over the creation. And it will be subject to us as God originally intended. Because Jesus is our Lord and our brother, and he will raise us for that. So it's the gospel, isn't it? Jesus is the true human, the true image of God, and God has saved us from our sin and is shaping us and restoring us to be in that image of Jesus, to be like him, to rule and reign and inherit all the earth into all eternity. And so even though we live in this time and this creation where things aren't right, we look forward to the time when things will be right, where we will rule and subdue the earth, ruling rightly over God's creation and under God. See, our hope of restoration when Jesus comes home, when Jesus comes back, is yet another reason to praise God in light of Genesis 1 and in light of the gospel. Believe the gospel, turn to Jesus, and you are on track to being the humanity that God intends us to be. But now, that brings us to our final question What do we learn about God? What does Genesis 1 show us? This is what Genesis 1 is really about. It's about God, isn't that right? See, this is here so that we can see all the, all the clearly, so clearly, you know what I mean. God created everything just by speaking, simply by the power of his word. Genesis 1, it's meant to show us his wisdom and his power, his unrivaled, unmatched, unparalleled, unchallenged power and wisdom. And goodness. Look at Psalm 33 on the screen with me. It says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters into a heap, he puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. Do you see how wise he is? Do you see how powerful he is? Do you see how fearsome he is? Do do you tremble before him? Do you stand before him in, in shocked awe, before our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons who is eternally powerful and all wise and who made everything that is? 
simply by speaking. See, we've talked about the right response of worshipping him, but what about the part of that that's fearing him? See, we're amazed and even fearful of powerful things in the creation. The, 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 you know, the big, scary animals, we're afraid of them. We, we respect their power. We're afraid of the sea and its power. The physical forces of our world, we're in awe of. The destructive weather that happens around the world. We're just in awe. We stand in awe of the magnitude of the sun and the galaxies and the forces that exist in a black hole. But what about God? God is wise to invent these things. God is powerful to create them with a word. See, there's no room for arrogance or apathy before the Creator. Only humility and fear and awe and falling on our faces in worship. Yet we also know he's good, don't we? His creation is good and he does good for his creation and for us. But the other thing we see, and this is especially in those last few verses, the beginning of chapter 2, is that shows us God is the God who finishes his work. At the beginning of chapter 2, we get the seventh day. God has finished all his work of creation, and so he rested. Now, we don't have time to go into all that it means that God rested and all that it means for our rest or our time. We'll save that for another day. But the core of it is this. With these verses, what they emphasize is God's finished work. Look at it again. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, The heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. Verse 2, God completed his work. God rested because he was done. What he set out to do, he finished. And so his rest, I think, shows us his glory as the one who can create and complete. And I think his rest shows us that he took delight in his creation. He stopped to enjoy it. And he was satisfied in, in the work of his hands and he was satisfied in himself. The seventh day of rest is about God's self-satisfaction. He rejoiced in himself and what he made. He glorified himself. He gloried in himself because of what he made. And how right that is if we look at our world and know that he made it. And I actually think that's a fitting place for us to end. Because Genesis 1 invites us to do the same thing, to rest in God's rest, to rejoice in him as he rejoices in himself, to be satisfied in him and, re- and enjoy him just as he did on the seventh day, to worship him for what he has made, the fact that he is the wise and powerful creator, that he created all these animals and this world with its rich diversity, that he created us and he declared it all to be very good. But even more than that, to just rest in the fact that he made all these things, that he is good, powerful, that we can rejoice with him in who he is. So I actually want us to finish with some more words of praise from the Psalms. Uh, We're going to finish with these words at the end of Psalm 8, which we saw before. I want us to join our voices together and praise God, the one who made all our world, the one who made the animals of all their kinds, the one who made us in his image. So please join with me. Let's praise God together with these words. Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Amen.